The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode, and by God's grace, episodes to follow, we continue to look at various apparent, supposed, Bible contradictions presented by atheists, skeptics, and humanists. We will examine them against what the Bible says in context according to proper exegesis, using the languages in question, correct grammar, the culture of the day, and most importantly, the prism of spiritual discernment given by God to those who truly desire to understand his revelation of himself and his relationship to man. As a prelude to answering any apparent Bible contradictions, if you as a listener have not done so already, listening to the introductory episode regarding questions about contradictions will be an indispensable prologue to fully understanding or, more importantly, answering any question or apparent contradiction which exists. 
Therefore, I will have to rely from this point forward on the listener to faithfully adopt the biblical posture of the Berean Bible student who is willing and able to do their own respective homework in order to avoid the pitfalls inherent from failing to do so. With this in mind, let us consider addressing the following questions about apparent Bible contradictions put forth by Mr. Ash. For our next randomly selected apparent Bible contradiction, Mr. Ash asks, Is the Bible for or against slavery? In this case, Mr. Ash reads the following verses. Genesis chapter 9, verse 25, quote, And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren, unquote. Exodus chapter 21, verse 2, quote, If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years shall he serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing, unquote. Exodus chapter 21, verse 7, quote, And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do, unquote. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 45 and 46, quote, Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall ye buy, and of their families that are with you, which they begat in your land, and they shall be your possession, and ye shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondmen forever. But over your brethren, the children of Israel, ye shall not rule one over another with rigor." Unquote. Joel chapter 3 verse 8, quote, And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the land of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord hath spoken it, unquote. Luke chapter 12 verse 47 and 48, quote, And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did not commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more." Unquote. And finally, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, quote, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, unquote. Mr. Ash then compares the above verses to the following passages for his supposed contradiction. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6, quote, Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke, unquote? Matthew chapter 23, verse 10, quote, Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ, unquote. Here once again we have a weighty subject with a lot of emotion attached to it, which will take a little extra time in order to answer this question. However, when we discuss and answer this question, it must be remembered that we will have to be limited to summarizing both the questions and answers regarding this issue. If we were to fully address every passage in the Bible regarding this topic, we would have to devote an entire series to fully exploring everything. 
So let's deal with the subject of slavery in general. To begin with, Mr. Ash's complaint that the Bible teaches or advocates slavery or that the Bible is contradictory regarding the subject is an argument by emotive language and by false equivocation. Let me explain. When Mr. Ash or anyone else uses the word quote-unquote slavery, we all have an automatic emotional visceral reaction to the word itself based upon our understanding of the word and context to our history. Automatically, our minds are drawn to visualizations of the worst aspects of antebellum South or race-based slavery. We think of the harsh, inhuman treatment of human beings simply because of skin color. Given all the things we know about this type of treatment of human beings, we have a rightfully justified abhorrence to the practice. As a result, the word slavery has become a pejorative term which cannot be used in any context without everyone assuming that what is meant is race-based inhumanity to other humans. Simply saying the word associates a moral crime, an evil upon whomever it is leveled. Thus, it is unavoidable that when we discuss slavery, we look through the prism of today's definition and impose those same definitions, as well as the moral judgments of those two to four thousand years ago. We never stop to evaluate what was going on at the time to see what historical definitions existed at the time in question. We never stop to think that words and their definitions change in their meaning given time. Consequently, I propose we step back and take a look at things from a biblical worldview and compare it to Mr. Ash's worldview relative to slavery. So, as we begin, we need to ask several subcategory questions which help us to answer Mr. Ash's question and his apparent contradiction. Question number one, why does slavery exist? Well, according to Mr. Ash's worldview paradigm, slavery should not exist anywhere in any universe because slavery is evil. Anywhere where slavery is said to exist, it exists because of religion, ignorance, evil, and prejudice. The only way to eliminate slavery, evil, and ignorance is to eliminate all forms of religion and to adopt Mr. Ash's worldview philosophy and practices which have no negative or harmful problems. The fact that the word slavery is even used in the Bible can only mean that the Bible is flawed and that religion is evil and God is an invention of man. Now, Mr. Ash can assume and imagine whatever he likes, but the reality is that the case can be made that when we consider historical personages such as Joseph Stalin, Pol Pot, or Mao Zedong, we can attribute in the neighborhood of 25 million people being placed into inhumane slave conditions, most, if not all of which, resulted in death. The only thing we can attribute to these same historical personages is that each one had what could be described as an atheistic worldview. Now, Mr. Ash is immediately going to loudly protest and disavow any suggestion that the actions of one 
or even several people who claim to be atheists who commit such acts of atrocity should be used to represent the actions and beliefs of everyone else. To do so would be unfair, biased, and to commit the error of painting unwarranted scapegoat analogies. Yet, this is exactly the case with Christianity. For the same reasons that we should not lump all atheists into one basket and blame the whole for the actions of a few, neither should we blame Christians or Christianity for the actions of one or more who label themselves as Christians but do horrible things in contradiction. According to a biblical worldview, we have the revelation that slavery and any other condition, event, outcome, or situation which one might otherwise call evil is a result of sin and the fall of man. Sin and evil, including slavery, is as a logical result of the fall and its consequences. God did not create, ordain, or institute slavery. Mankind did. All mankind is under the influence and effects of sin, including all of the various characters which we read about in the Bible with the exception of Jesus. The only offset anecdote to sin and separation is being justified and sanctified by an abiding relationship with Jesus via grace through faith in his completed work. The complete abolition of slavery, as well as all sin, will only occur when God creates a new heaven and a new earth where Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. Question number two. If slavery is bad, then why do we find rules and guidelines given by God regarding slavery? Well, simply put, because sin and rebellion has been brought upon creation by mankind, evil exists, including slavery. In order to manage this and other forms of sin from reaching even further levels of evil, God gave certain instructions and prohibitions to prevent such. The best example of this is divorce. Hopefully, everyone can agree that in a perfect world, people should love one another forever and stay married rather than divorcing. Like slavery, we can find rules and laws in the Bible regarding under what circumstances divorce is permissible. Like slavery... We could also incorrectly make the case that because the Bible or God gives these rules regarding divorce, that the Bible or God are agreeing with or encouraging or advocating divorce. However, you will recall that when the Pharisees confronted Jesus with this supposed contradiction, he set them straight in Matthew chapter 19 verse 8. Here, like slavery, Jesus reminded the Pharisees that God never intended that a man and wife should divorce. Divorce was and is a product of the hardness of man's heart as a result of rebellion and sin produced at the fall. Question 3. Why don't we find any specific commandments prohibiting slavery? Doesn't the absence of such commandment suggest approval of slavery on God's part? Well, no. 
The absence of a commandment against slavery does not suggest approval of slavery by God any more than a lack of specific commandment against divorce suggests God's approval of divorce. Question 4. Are those aspects of slavery detailed in the Bible the same as those aspects of pre-Civil War antebellum slavery? Answer. Absolutely and historically no. The pre-Civil War antebellum South slavery had the following issues. 1. Race was the focus and basis for slavery. 2. There was by necessity a mindset characterized by superiority versus inferiority regarding said racial differences. 3. There was very little regard for the welfare of slaves, and therefore conditions were harsh and brutal. 4. Slavery was involuntary and enforced by kidnapping, incarceration, beating, threat of death, and death itself. Now, all of this was very different from the slavery detailed in the Bible in the following ways. Number one, race was not the focus of or for slavery. Two, while pride and issues of superiority always exist because of sin, in the case of slavery in the Bible, we don't have a history of slavery solely based upon superiority versus inferiority of one's particular race versus another race. 3. God commanded a series of very specific rules and laws which required a great regard for the treatment of slaves and their welfare. 4. Slavery was largely a result of one's economic situation and predicament. Biblical slavery was kind of a non-exploitive debt bondage or indentured servitude a far cry from the brutal, exploitive, chattel slavery that was practiced in the antebellum South. The Bible forbids kidnapping, killing slaves, or breaking up their families. Now, with this summary in view, let's look at and explain the verses quoted by Mr. Ash. Genesis chapter 9, verse 25, quote, And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren, unquote. Here, the quote he, unquote, quoted who makes this pronouncement is Noah, not God. It is simply what Noah said historically regarding Cain. There is no comment from God approving or disapproving what Noah said. That's called historical narrative, not theology. Thus, this verse cannot be used to support slavery. It can only be used to say that that is what Noah said and nothing more. Next, we have Exodus chapter 21, verse 2. Quote, If thou buy a Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. Unquote. And also, Exodus chapter 21, verse 7. Quote, and if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do, unquote.
Now, notice that in both cases, the text says, quote, if, unquote. The use of the word, quote, if, unquote, simply demonstrates that our previous theory is correct. Namely, because man's sin and rebellion have brought various evils, including slavery, upon the world, God will now have to mitigate and deal with them. So these two verses give rules which limit the amount of time a person can legally remain in slavery or how they would go about releasing them from servitude. But again, the presence of rules governing slavery do not imply the approval of the existence of slavery any more than the rules of divorce imply approval of divorce. The same can be said of Leviticus chapter 25, verses 45 and 46. Quote, Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall ye buy, and of their families that are with you, which they shall beget in your land, and they shall be your possession. And ye shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondmen forever. But over your brethren, the children of Israel, ye shall not rule one over the other with rigor." Unquote. Here, when we look carefully at the original languages and compare it to the translations, we see that there are some inconsistencies when it comes to some of the translations in question. In each case, when God gives instructions regarding rules which tend to protect or to improve the situation of those who wind up in slavery, the correct English word, quote, shall, unquote, should appear. Conversely, in each case where the topic of the verse deals with the existence, continuance, or acceptance of slaves is concerned, the correct English word, quote, may, unquote, should appear. Unfortunately, in some translations, the translator has chosen to utilize the word, quote, shall, unquote, instead of, quote, may, unquote, and thereby incorrectly attributing God's directive or approval upon the subject. Next, we have Joel chapter 3, verse 8, quote, And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken it, unquote. Now here we have what is actually a prophecy for the future beyond Joel's time. This verse talks about a time when Israel and or Judah's enemies will be sold into the hands of Judah and that Judah will in turn sell the enemies into the hands of the Sabaeans. The point of this verse is not that God is advocating or commanding slavery. The point is that Joel is seeing this as a future historical event and that God is revealing it ahead of time as a certain fact, i.e., God has spoken it. In other words, God is telling Joel, this thing is going to happen. God often revealed the future to various prophets. Sometimes the future was good, and sometimes the future was bad. But we should not infer that because God reveals something which we see as bad, that God is approving of the bad. It is simply going to happen, and that's it. If it's bad, it's because of sin and rebellion. 
If it's good, it's only good because of God's grace and mercy. Now, before we address any New Testament verses, we need to step back and look at the bigger picture. Let's acknowledge a theological reality. Namely, because of the outcome and effects of the post-fall Genesis 3, we are all in bondage or in slavery due to the nature of sin. Satan, sin, and our flesh are our masters whom we serve. We remain in sin and rebellion, and we continue to serve these masters until such time as God, by his grace, draws us to repentance and delivers us from these masters to serve him. If so be that by God's grace we truly and sincerely are drawn to repentance, deliverance, and justification, we become voluntary servants of the living God through Christ. Jesus is our Lord, our God, our Master, our King. Unlike servitude to Satan, sin, and the flesh, where we are beaten, abused, defeated, and ultimately killed, once we are voluntary servants to God, we are not merely servants. We are adoptive children and heirs made worthy through Jesus. We have hope and joy now as well as victory, joy, and unspeakable eternal life as our future guarantee. In the end, in, in a manner of speaking, there is slavery either way. In one, we are slaves to Satan, sin, and the flesh, which lead to death. In the other, there is voluntary slavery to God, where paradoxically he sets us free to serve him in spirit and truth, and we have eternal life. This is in contrast to Mr. Ash, who believes that religion or belief in God is what creates slavery. Mr. Ash labors under the delusion that eliminating religion and promoting his worldview is the antidote to slavery and other evils, while in fact it is Satan who has deceived mankind into believing a lie, including Mr. Ash's worldview, all of which are the symptoms of sin, including slavery. With this in mind, we next read Luke chapter 12, verse 47 48. Quote, and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more." Unquote. Here, Mr. Ash fails to disclose the fact that Jesus is giving a parable. In verse 36, beginning this parable, Jesus likens his followers to men who wait for the arrival of their Lord. Similar to earthly servants, Jesus reminds that blessed are those servants who watch and wait for their Lord. As the parable continues, Jesus reminds those who are earthly masters and who have earthly slaves that in the end he is God and as God he is Lord and master of all, including earthly masters. 
As such, the earthly masters are warned that if they mistreat their earthly slaves, they forget that they are themselves servants under his lordship. In the end, Jesus reminds us that as God, he is sovereign Lord and that everyone and everything is under his command and is answerable to his perfect will. Thus, if people had slaves, they were to treat them justly and kindly in the same way as they would have God treat them. If they abused and neglected their slaves, they were warned that they also would be punished for their refusal to act in the chain of command of God's justice and mercy. So, on the one hand, there is slavery, or if you prefer, servanthood, which exists either that of Satan or that of God. On the other hand, God never here in this verse or anywhere else commands or approves of any sin, including earthly slavery. Sin and slavery exist due to the fall of man, and like so many other sins, God issues rules and laws to manage those aspects of sin to prevent the abuses which ultimately follow if not managed. But here in the above verse, Jesus is not approving of slavery. He is simply using earthly examples as a parable to illustrate heavenly and eternal relationships. Finally, we have Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Quote, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God." Unquote. Here again, neither Paul nor God are approving of slavery. Slavery existed as a historical reality in the culture of that day. Christians were living under the rule of Rome, and Christianity was not yet ready to change or abolish the Roman pagan or other laws of the day. Those who resisted too vocally against Roman law found themselves persecuted, imprisoned, punished, and even executed. Consequently, Paul is exhorting Christian slaves how to apply the gospel in every situation of their lives, including that of being a servant or a slave. But having the proper attitude and demeanor, servants and slaves should then be an example to their masters and thereby open the door to witnessing and conversion of their masters. In the end, God's perfect will is to abolish slavery by his power. The fact that this is God's will is given in Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 through 28. Quote, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus." Unquote. So the fact is that apart from the redemptive work of Christ, Paul reminds us of the following in Romans chapter 6, verse 16 through 23. Quote, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness? 
But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have within in those things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Unquote. So, in the end, there is no contradiction. Just because mankind has sinned and the sin results in evil, such as slavery, detailed in the Bible and elsewhere, does not mean that God is the author of those evils, nor does it mean that God approves of them, because God gives rules and laws to mitigate this and other sins does not mean that God approves of them. Because one or a million people adopt the word quote-unquote Christian and do evil things and improperly use the Bible out of context as their authority does not mean that the evils they commit are a product of the design of God, the Bible, or biblical Christianity. In the end, sin and evil exist because of mankind and his nature damaged by sin and separated from God which cause him to believe lies and to act accordingly. In all, to date, in this series, we have examined and answered 24 questions regarding biblical contradictions from Mr. Ash. In each case, these are serious questions posed by various individuals who hold themselves out to be scholars, critical thinkers, intellectuals and the like who collectively fall under the pseudonym of Mr. Ash. These and others are questions which individually and collectively serve as the basis by which we are intended to come to the conclusion that the Bible is not God's word, but rather a collection of myths and fables only to be believed by the simple-minded and the gullible. However, in truth, these 24 and a myriad remaining others are nothing more than apparent contradictions which exist and remain largely, if not exclusively, due in fact to Mr. Ash's inability or unwillingness to do his research coupled with his unwillingness to open his heart and mind to God and his word. This concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. No
Trust